1: So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you small-town dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.
2: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
3: And I'm Mary Beth.
2: And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
3: This week, our guest is Zach Donahue. He is the writer and director known for the terrifying Second Life horror film The Den, which you have heard me talk about ad nauseum on this podcast. And his latest is Uncomfortably Numb, a serialized audio thriller. And he has an upcoming series called The Unknowable. Welcome to the show! Hey!
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks, thanks for, for joining for us. Um, the show Mary Beth introduced me to the den, and I instantly became obsessed with it. And I, I, this is so exciting Yay. to be able to talk to you about it. But um, before we do get to your creative stuff, let's take it back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to horror?
4: Yeah. So um, my dad was always, you know, he was he was a big fan of horror all his life, and uh, you know, when I was a kid it wasn't one of those things where, you know, let's, let's keep horror away from Zach. It was very, you know, open and, you know, kind of nurturing uh, Mm -hmm. thing where, you know, every night he would watch a horror movie, you know, when I would go to bed. And sometimes in the nights that I couldn't sleep, I would, you know, kind of get up and walk into the living room and just be like, what are you, what are you watching? And then just kind of, he'd make room for me on the couch and you know we would kind of, you know, just enjoy this, this time. And, he wasn't like, you know, showing me like, I spit on your grave or like dark stuff like that. <laughs> right. he, he, you know, he was letting me watch like um, Ed Wood Jr.'s The Bride of the Monster. Okay. Which is, you know, a silly movie with Bella Lugosi that as a kid was very traumatizing because it had uh, a mon, like a, this octopus that, you know, Bella was feeding people to. Oh, um, So. <laughs> That, you know, kind of traumatized me. And then he showed me, uh, the
2: Gorgon. Oh, and we the- talked about that last year oh, yeah. on, uh, yeah. on Little yeah. 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 We were going yeah. down a folk horror path <laughs> and, and we, we, no, it was, it was Hammer Horror for that. It was Hammer Horror. That was for and... Hammer Horror.
4: Yeah. I don't know. As a kid, it's just the, the snakes for, for hair and the people turning to stone. Um, that freaked me the heck out. And, um, you know, so he, he showed me all of these, you know, kind of like, Weirder, more offbeat movies than you know the the usual fare. Um, and then as I got a little bit older, I started to, you know, kind of like five or six, I started to realize that he in the 70s and 80s had made these super eight films with his friends. Um, oh, really, so, yeah, yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll promote them. Uh, you know, you can go to his uh, Vimeo
2: page, <laughs> but um, <Aww. laughs> so he, he... posted
3: that- post their old movies they made when they were younger and that makes me so happy
2: (laughs) whenever we ask people if anyone has like their old you know tapes like oh i have i'm never gonna show anyone so that is so cool to see it's really cool and you know like over the years it's like i've gotten uh more proficient at you know
4: editing and whatnot i've kind of remastered some of his movies and put more sound design and score Mm. so it's kind of like movies that have been like you know 30 years in the making but you know so when i was it was funny because when I was like, you know, five or six, I'd be like, Dad, can you show me uh Haunted Dreams? What's Haunted Dreams? And he's like, no, no, no. You got to wait until you're a little. And this is a movie that he had made um, like two years before he claims before Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, when he finally showed it to me around like seven, uh, you know, I saw it was like this five minute Super 8 movie where this guy keeps having these nightmares where he's dreaming of this other couple. And in the dream, he keeps like wandering the, the woods and he finds this terrifying Jean Audrey mask. And then he gets a machete and like starts like attacking the couple. And at the end, the couple, you know, uh, rises against him and they wind up cutting his head off. <laughs> and, and so it's like this super extreme movie that, well, not Holy that, shit. Thing, but like he, he, you know, was, was always very much like, Oh, you can't see it because of that decapitation at the end. And then I finally saw it and I was like, dad, that was awesome. You know? And he, had all these other movies, and as soon as he kind of saw that I was into those, he was like, "Well, I still have a Super 8 camera. Let's, you know, start making some oh. some movies." And so we made a, a sequel to Haunted Dreams where I was now the star, and then we made like a vampire movie uh, called this is Vampire. This the coolest
3: funny. thing I've ever heard. That is so, that cool. Is so cool! <laughs> oh, thank you. What, what be, is are Happy to do that. <laughs> what did your dad end up doing, like, for his career? Was he in any, like, creative like, in a movie-adjacent no, field at all?
4: It was always, like, kind of like a, a deep passion of, of, you know, he's a lover of movies, and uh, he's a great writer, and he always, like, kind of edits the stuff that I write. He kind of got into the human services field, where he met my mom, <sighs> and then oh. the two of them uh, just really st- uh, kind of strived in that field and, and you know, kind of... Did this awesome really kind of gave back and still are uh, to the community and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, so my childhood was spent like running through cemeteries, being chased by my dad's <laughs> middle-aged friends playing vampires. And...
3: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that sounds. Like the coolest! That's amazing. <laughs> it was,
4: yeah, it was it was really cool, and um,
3: because you, you always hear stories of kids being like discouraged from making like, oh, you're just making your movies, but it's like with your dad and his friends, like that is just so cool to have that kind oh, of encouraged you. Yeah. as you were growing up.
4: Yeah, no, it was um, it was really great. And then like when I was like, I want to go to film school, it was super expensive. We didn't make a lot of money, but like at that time, like they were like, yeah, let's. We're going to kind of let you like it was kind of like a dream that he always wanted. And, and you know, he's like, very excited about that. So, yeah. That's so amazing. <laughs> and you
2: said that his videos are up on, on Vimeo.
4: Yeah, yeah. They're Send on, us the um, link and we'll include it in the
2: show notes. If incredible. that's okay. Yeah. That'd be would that's that. so awesome.
3: Please, that's <laughs> yeah. amazing.
2: Oh, my
4: God. But yeah, no. So like, you know, between, you know, watching these movies with him at an early age and then making these movies and then just, you know, kind of. Finding other horror movies, as as one does, I just kind of got more and more kind of into the the world. And <laughs> so that's, that's
3: amazing. Do you that's remember amazing. the first movie you ever a horror movie you ever saw?
4: So ever saw would be Bride of the Monster, okay. and okay. ever saw ever saw in a theater would be Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> Ernest uh,
2: Scared Stupid. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. um oh which man i saw you guys also did an episode on we did do an episode on that one and I, <laughs> I that was i i think i remember seeing that one in the movie theater too and just uh what a delight what a delight yeah. that movie yes yeah. my favorite line of that movie that i still quote to this
4: day is uh how about a bumper sandwich booger lips <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no um, yeah so um all my favorite horror movies I, I have a wide just a wide taste between like the eclectic stuff that my dad kind of showed me at an early age and then finding The Shining, mm-hmm. you know, kind of when I was eight. Really, that movie really wow. like kind of stuck in my craw. I got married last Halloween and my wife, uh, <laughs> I see. I'm
3: getting married uh, this <laughs> Halloween. Yes. Yes.
4: That, congratulations. That's Congratulations to you too. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, congratulations. Um, but we did like, uh, you know, we're both in the, the film industry and, and my wife and I are huge you know, kind of Shining fans. And uh, so we did kind of like a split horror theme, but also split just appreciation for all movies. But the two things from The Shining that I was able to kind of put into the wedding was that all of the cufflinks for the groomsmen were little axes Mm. from The Shining. And then when we, we, after we did our, you know, first dance, uh, I told the DJ, I was like, I really, really want you to play midnight the moon and star is it midnight the moon and star the song that's at the uh yeah. in the ballroom scene and then we like opened the doors we're like we invite you into the dinner and that song just came on and then we like oh ushered wow. everyone in and just was so so amazing and like my horror like it was this beautiful convergence of one of the best days of my life the best day of my life getting married but also being able to marry that with appreciation of horror
1: I'm
3: so excited for my wedding because yeah. my yeah. wedding is going to have a bunch of stuff like that too. So yes. it's cool to hear you having that experience. Yes, and being definitely like, oh, embrace I'm so it.
0: I, oh, <laughs> do <don't Yeah. worry. laughs> Yes. I can't wait to there,
4: hear how it, how it comes out. Yeah. Or, you know, see, I'm sure you'll post photos on Twitter and, and Instagram. Yeah, that'd be awesome.
3: And Terry will be there. So he'll also be, be posting. <laughs> so, well,
4: congratulations. I-
3: Oh, thank you. They're, oh, it's that's so <laughs> that's so neat. Um, that is really cool. Wow. Okay, so you grew up on Hammer. You said you like you found The Shining, and but like what other? What were some other favorites of yours growing up? Like specific horror movies?
4: I guess you know, like obviously, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas. Those were all movies mm. that like were kind of turning points for me, where I was already a big fan of horror, and then I saw those movies, and then it was like okay this is, it widened the possibility of, of what horror could be. And, and that it's interesting because when I went to college, I, I had like a few experiences kind of in my early college years and post college where I saw a few movies that just kind of like rocked my world. Um, just from the, not only the theater going experience, but just, just seeing that the possibilities of like the storytelling, you know, one of those was, um, the Strangers. I remember mm. that having like a really big, big effect on me. Um, I grew up uh, in a small town in uh, upstate New York called Ticonderoga, and my parents... Like so the
3: pencils! Like the
4: pencil. And <laughs> I was the, just
3: talking to someone about Ticonderoga pencils, because like, <laughs> it's like my, my cousins are going back to school, so that's the only reason that it makes they,
4: me <laughs> The pencils weren't made there, but they had like this, you know, Revolutionary War fort, and and all this other historical stuff. Um, and I was raised in this house that was like a mile into the woods and you, to access the house, you had wow. to drive across like a, a wooden bridge that was like dilapidated and like crossing evil it. Evil dead much? Evil dead. It felt like, you know, like crossing the bridge and sorcerer, like every time oh, we would yeah. get to it, like <laughs> it was, it was nuts. And there were a lot of times very early, like I think when I was like eight, I, I just wasn't good with babysitters. And, like, one time I, like, hid from a babysitter for, like, four hours. And I was a little shit. And so after a certain point, my parents were like, all right, you're just going to be in this house, like, when we, we go to work. And, and, you know, you don't need a babysitter at this point because you've already, you know, kind of proven
2: yourself. <laughs> you've traumatized and, the babysitters. you're you as,
3: as a babysitter, I would have – you were my worst nightmare.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. I mean –
4: I definitely have big regrets about, about that, you know, and, um, (laughs) but so, um, all all that being said is that, you know, we lived really remote and there were certain times when I would be at home watching a movie and like weird things would happen. Like the first time I saw the shining, I, we had like this big glass window that, and I heard this like weird sound and I looked out and there are these two deer with like big antlers, like going like viciously attacking each other and oh. i got on the phone my just parents like,
3: What the fuck? it was at night was no it was daytime
4: it was the middle of the day just and...
3: watching the shining and looking outside and two deer are just fighting and d- goes, i i don't know where i am right now like this yeah, is very weird just,
4: just very very weird and then above our property a lot of hunters used to to you know kind of do their do their thing and there was a few times where like I'd be home alone and then all of a sudden I like heard the sound of voices and I look out that window and like one time I saw like these five big dudes dragging a dead deer across my lawn. Oh my God. And, <laughs> and so I called my mom and I'm like mom these there's men outside and they've got a <laughs> deer and they've and got guns <laughs> they've, got
1: guns. And they've like,
4: got guns you know <laughs> and my my you know my, my horror brain <sighs> always goes to a, a, a very paranoid I always kind of catastrophize, you know, situations. mm -hmm. And so seeing the strangers, you know, and just seeing these people outside who you don't know and they don't belong there and they're trespassing, it really hit home, especially coming from like someone that lived completely remote and like, you know, literally isolated by a bridge where there's this fear of like, there's no one else like these people could easily come in and invade my house and like there's no next door neighbor uh that would you know kind of be there to help you right um and then shortly i don't remember if it was before or after that but then i saw Paranormal activity in the theaters and that movie really uh, that movie and blair witch project actually I'm, I'm overlooking blair witch project but those two were like like also very fundamental Jack, we move. are
3: very, very similar in our fundamental <laughs> building block <laughs> horror movies. Very, awesome. very, very, very similar. Because The that... Strangers and The Blair Witch Project and Panorama Activity are like quintessential That's... texts for who I am <laughs> the way I am. <laughs> That's
4: awesome. Can I ask what you saw? When both of you saw Blair Witch, did you see it in the theaters, like when it initially came out?
2: I saw it in the theaters when it initially came out, and I had just seen the sci-fi doc, and I'm using quotes for those that can't see uh, <laughs> that I thought was real, and I had a terrible time in the movie theater yeah. because I thought the movie was real. It was obviously it's you know at
4: this point it's like a lot of people have said this, but it's unlike you know anything that kind of came before for it in terms of like just really bamboozling the audience into thinking like these people are dead and we're actually watching, watching a snuff film a snuff film <laughs> yeah. um and you know i know a, there there's like a weird thing where some people are are like blair witch is overrated like if you actually watch it now it's it's you know it's it's not that but i, I think that's all it's baloney it's scary it's actually, still, still
0: yeah. good still scary <laughs> i
4: i agree with you it's it's one of my favorites and paranormal activity as well. Like, I thought that movie just got me, you know. Oh, that it, movie
3: fucked s- me up. That yeah. movie fucked me. I couldn't sleep. Like, so I I saw so the Blair Witch came out in ninety nine. I'm a little bit younger, so I couldn't have seen it. I didn't see it in theaters because my dad's a psycho, but not that much of a psycho. So I saw it at home, knowing that it was fake, and it still scared the shit out of me. What was That's that, awesome. Terry? Was that the Blair Witch? I don't know. I heard something. It... I was like, the Blair Witch is here. <laughs> I don't know where, but oh my was. god,
2: so, but, um, Phantom Creek.
1: Uh,
3: <laughs> but the Blair—I mean, like, obvious, Obviously, I love the Blair Witch Project. Um, oh, but like, yeah. yeah. Um, That's a
4: great tattoo of the. What, what is that? The the.
3: Uh, it's a, it's a little. It's the fig. It's the stick figure. Stick figure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It still scares the shit. And it still scares me. Like that movie still yeah. scares me. I cannot watch it with other people. If they're going to talk, though, because they make fun of it and I get pissed. That happened to me one yeah. time in high school where I almost got into a fight with my friend because they were making fun of it. Because that's how they process their feet. Like, that's how they were, like, processing it whenever we were in high school. But I was like, if you don't shut the fuck up, you're going to ruin one of my favorite horror
4: movies for me. Are you one of the, the types of people that, like, watches a movie and, like, is kind of, like, looking over at the other person to see if they're engaged? Or are you, like...
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, no. A- 100%. Yeah. And like, yeah, me too. To be fair, I'm not always that militant about not talking during <laughs> horror movies, but they were being very mean to the Blair Witch Project, and it was I, not very fair.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I you have to you have to respect that movie. You know, I mean that yes. every time I watch that movie, it it gets it gets really actually pretty like sad and harrowing. Mm-hmm. Like when they're lost, you and she's just like she's like screaming so primally and like, it just gives me chills. Like she's just, she's incredible in it. And then Parallel Activity, I just find like so spooky. And I love the the world of that. And like, I love most of those sequels. And, you know, anytime there's a, a sequel to that franchise, I'm totally down to like, all right. I actually like part two, I remember just thinking was so genius because is that the one that's like, uh, an interquel where it's like both a sequel but a prequel or happening at the s-
3: it's the one going at the same time with her sister her sister yeah. has the baby and it's like the it's they have like the titles and like katie shows up sometimes in the second one so it's like they're kind of going on simultane they're going on simultaneously and then they end like the second one ends like right after the first stuff ends because katie comes yeah. and takes the baby
4: i know and then i just saw it, it turned out to be fake news, but there was a like a plot for an eighth movie that got leaked somewhere, and I was like, "Oh, this actually sounds interesting," but then it turned out to not be a real, real movie. So, um, no. boo!
3: You watched obviously watched a lot of horror movies with your dad, but were you easily scared? And were you scared of these movies as a kid?
4: Oh yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah, like I was asking my dad about that, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and and he was saying like, "Yeah, you know, you would you would have your Peer through your your fingers as you were watching it. And um, uh, when I was in middle school, um, I probably had this this thing that many people have where you're sitting at the lunch table and you're with a friend who has already seen like every horror movie, you know, in this case, Friday the 13th. And they're describing the movie to you in vivid detail and like going through like all of the the kills and all of this and you're like oh my god like this movie sounds like so scary i don't know if i'll ever be able to handle this so i would eventually kind of convince my dad like yeah let me let me rent this movie i want to see you know friday the 13th and the first time i watched friday the 13th he was in the other room like balancing a checkbook (laughs) and i the anticipation of knowing what all my friends had told me were these scary scenes that were gonna happen. i I made it to like the hitchhiker gets in the car uh, in the in the very beginning of the first mm-hmm. one, and she makes a run for it, and the killer, you know, kind of tracks her down to this tree and then pulls her head back and and slits her throat. And I was just like yelling, and my dad was <laughs> was in the kitchen. Stood up from the, the, you know, the checkbook and, like, ran to the TV and, like, paused the VHS and was like, all right, you're not watching this. And then returned it to uh, Doc's video at the time. And so that was, you know, I I didn't make it through Friday the 13th the first time I watched it. Um, I had to re-rent it a few months later. The hilarious thing is I watched it that time and I got to the end and I was like, the kids who described these kills were completely full of shit because none of these kills actually happened. (laughs) And I was like, I mean, in my head, what they were describing was almost more fucked up and, you know, me questioning, like what was going on with them, you know, but uh, yeah. So, (laughs) wow.
3: You mentioned some of like the movies that, you know, you saw a little bit later, but do you still get scared of horror movies now? after all these years and making your own movies?
4: Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of movies that, like, make you, like, tense and, you know, just kind of on the edge of your seat. But recently, I had the pleasure of seeing X with my, my yeah. wife in the theater. And we were just, like, so, I don't know. We That movie worked on us. Um, just all of the scares were really kind of top-notch and Uh, you know it was just a a a thrilling like i i was very uncomfortable that movie just because you know usually as like a horror writer director you know i can kind of like be like okay i i know this guy's dead and it's going to be killed this way or i know certain beats are coming up ahead but that movie just kind of like i was i was i went into it totally uncynical and it kind of swept me up and yeah i was i was really messed up by it and then it, this isn't a movie but you know squid game really terrified me
3: oh and, i like, couldn't finish squid game because it made me too depressed so i still haven't finished it because i watched I the first watch episode it. with my fiance and was like i don't know if i'm in the mood for this like this is like, too much for me like something <laughs> about anything about like The disgusting capitalist machine, it's just so, like, obviously Squid Game is not real, but it's so real, and it's, like, where it's basis, and it's just very difficult for me to, like, turn off my brain and not get paranoid (laughs) and sad about the
4: world. No, I mean, I totally hear that, and, like, the theme is one thing, but I'm like a, I am like ai get I have these nightmares of, like, I don't know if you guys ever had this, where you're being thrown into like a Hunger Games situation, and you have to like survive, or it's like a Saw situation, and it's like, what oh, would you wow. do in like, you know, if you were in this room, like, how would you get out of it? And and those kind of situations always just, they, yeah, they they wake me up with a cold sweat. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. no. uh
3: uh-uh. uh-uh. So, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you've worked on. Yeah. So let's talk about The Den first, because I want The Den first. Um, for our listeners who have not heard me talk about The Den ad nauseum, can you <laughs> let listeners know what The Den is?
4: Yeah. So it's a, a found footage movie that takes place all on the uh, desktop computer of the hero, uh, Elizabeth Benton, who is a graduate student doing a thesis on the internet habits of people who are using this website called the Den, which is basically a version of chat roulette. And while she's doing her thesis, she comes across uh, what she realizes is a brutal murder, and she takes it to the cops. tries to you know figure out like it, how to solve and and you know get justice for this person, but in doing so. She's now made herself a target and her friends and family uh, by the p- very same people who killed this this other poor soul. And that's the movie.
3: <laughs> sure fucking is. Okay, so you made, if not the first Screen Life, how whatever we want to call it, film. You made one of the first ones. How How did you kind of conceptualize of this and then start... Going down that rabbit hole because I mean there were there wasn't an unfriended for you to base off of like you were one of the first so kind of how yeah. did that process go for you in designing this film?
4: Well, like the genesis of it came from uh, at the time my writing partner and, and girlfriend had been had taken this really odd job working for this feature on Facebook called Chat Rounds. I don't know if it's still there, but basically her job was to just log all of the conversations with the random users. It was basically like chat roulette. So she would, you know, go on for an hour a night and, and just, you know, have all these weird interactions. And most of these interactions are kind of in, in the movie are kind of based on, you know, some of the the people that she, she saw. And, you know, I, I would often kind of sit in and just, you know, look over her shoulder and kind of watch like the weirdness that she was, bearing witness to and we just started to realize you know as we were looking at the laptop that we saw this could be the actual you know layout of a movie like i would watch this i would watch just you on a a skype screen like talking to the the first thing that like really creeped us out was there was this avatar uh, that became the inspiration for the the first kill where it was this just this like uh, screenshot of a random girl it was kind of fuzzy very blurry and this person was like texting with or you know uh, dming with us through the site and we were like this this looks like it's a you know a a, a young woman but it very well might not be and you know we don't know like what the intentions are here so that became like the the seed for just the initial kind of creep factor and then it all kind of blossomed out from there um just in terms of like oh well you know we'll make kind of like a a a version of rear window here where she witnesses this murder um and then let's just let's just bring in all of her her friends and her you know her family and we'll set the whole thing on the the damn computer screen (laughs) and uh it was cool, yeah, and you know, convincing. You know, when I when I brought the, the the movie to the the investors and and the producers, there was definitely like this this big, you know, fear of like, would anyone want to watch this? What's mm. this going to look like? Can you sustain a movie for this x amount of time and just have it be interesting? So I had to do all of these kind of low budget uh, mock up tests and ha- like kind of had other people that I knew that were graphic designers just you know, kind of build me like small versions of like what the, what the site would be. And um, it's funny because a lot of these movies that have subsequently uh, come after the den I've noticed are either, you know, they take place on like Skype or zoom or like real websites. And early on in the process, we were like, we didn't know if we'd have the rights to use those sites. So it, it, we we didn't know if we'd get sued and the movie would never get released. So it kind of just the idea of like making up a website became this thing that's part of the movie's charm, but also this like weird thing where it's like the den doesn't exist. So there's like a buy in at the beginning of the movie that that people have to take. But um, we were able to kind of base it off of like similar enough uh, other websites. So I think people you know could could get on board with the concept. Yeah uh enough but
3: well it's scary shit so it really, i feel it like really is. i, I yeah. mean <laughs> i feel like you have a lot of intensity and violence and it's it's like it's pretty intense movie i mean it doesn't pull any punches that's for sure so i think that I, helped i mean definitely you know, gets you sucked in
4: <laughs> you know it's funny because like i'm not like a very dark macabre person and you know my wife's family is always like uh we're <laughs> where does this come from? (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm not like a, a a sick, sadistic, you know, dude, but, um, you know, just that movie, you know, I was able to kind of foster all of the ideas that I wanted to do at the time. It was one of the most, like just invigorating period because I made that movie with friends. You know, the DP lived with me all the whole month that we were making it. We shot it in an editor's house. Uh, it was, you know, it was a family kind of like the movie that I've written you today. Uh, it was just this small little movie like made by other people
2: that like to make movies. And it was the little, the little movie that could, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have two questions. One did you, and the second one is very important, but the first one, uh, did you, um, did you shoot all of the, the, you know, den kind of content or how did you, how did you come up with all the, the stuff that she would see, the people, the random people that she would come across? <laughs> so, Yeah. So, you know, uh, half
4: of them are based on inspiration from real people that uh, we had seen on, you know, just kind of scouring these sites. And then at another point, like the producer was like, let's just come up with like really wild stuff. Like, what if you see like a a grandma just shove a pie in someone's face that never made the movie. But that kind of thinking of like, let's Let's almost like really put our comedy hats on here, and in some ways, you know, there are moments in the first half of the movie that like I, I want to feel as like silly, ridiculous, and bizarre and and absurd. There's definitely a uh, a penis puppet that makes a cameo. That's the second
2: question: <laughs> Where did that come from? And do you still have it? So, so
4: that was. That was a guy who, uh, I forget if he, we, you know, we might've brought him on to be like another random. And then like, that's what we called all of the, 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 the characters that mm-hmm. you know, weren't making, like they were called randoms. And I think at some point he was like, he di- he did a scene and then he was like, yeah, I got this, this penis puppet or, or we, or we happened to like look into the back of his car and we, we saw that and we we're like, what? what's that? Like what's
1: to do with that?
4: And then he, you know, kind of, you know, pulled it out. And then it's, just, it's this giant, like it's literally, if you see the movie, it's a puppet that looks like a, almost like a Jim Henson. Yeah. puppet That he manipulates and, and it has a face and it's a singing talking puppet. And we arguably we might've overused it, but you know, we were having no, so much fun. <laughs> you did not overuse it.
2: That... <laughs> <laughs> Every time I watch the movie, I'm just it, it always brings a smile to my face. It's so ridiculous. There's a part; uh, it's almost like she's just in a well
4: of despair. Like 60 minutes into the movie, no one believes her. She's lost the grant, and I think her boyfriend has gone missing. And she gets trolled by this one guy who then, you know, play, like Rick rolls her with the penis puppet, and it's like one of my favoritely timed just moments of levity. So, <laughs> so it's <good>. incredible. <laughs> um,
3: you. But you're also working on an audio thriller, which is called Uncomfortably Numb. Can you also tell our listeners a little bit about that?
4: Yes. So this is, in many ways, a spiritual sequel to The Den. Um, it is about an internet content moderator who works for this third-party app that you know kind of goes through cleaning and removing all of the terrible stuff that you see on all of the the big social media apps. And in doing so, he's become very detached and uh, numb. Uh, and one of these nights that he's doing this shift, he sees something that completely snaps him out of this malaise. He sees his estranged ex-girlfriend getting murdered. Oh. And from there, he basically goes on this investigation to to find out you know, is this real? What happened? And goes down a, a, a rabbit hole. And in many ways, uh, since making The Den, I've had many moments uh, where I've, you know, kind of toyed with the idea of making a sequel. And this isn't exactly a, you know, Den Universe sequel, but it right. has so many of the germs of ideas uh, that have kind of come in, you know since that time and you know in in between the time that I made the den and wrote this I worked for Snap for a while as a content moderator and Wait are you that, serious?
3: I, you worked for Snapchat? I did. So did I. Oh wow that's fun. I was I worked that I managed that Geo Snapchat Discover channel. I was I worked there for a while oh, wow. and like managed content published it.
4: My so my job was um similar to that where it was the you know the Snap map. Uh uh-huh. yeah, so Snap Map, uh, where you basically can go on and and you know see what your friends in different cities are are doing when they post snaps. But you know my my horror brain would always be like, okay, what if you just randomly clicked on a snap in just anywhere on the in the world? You know, you have access to this on on your phone at least at the point that they released the Snap Map. You know, everyone had access to this, where you could just search through the world and you could see different heat patterns of where people were snapping. Oh, wow. And you could just see like a snap from some dude in his bedroom, you know, like brandishing a gun or something. And you'd be like, whoa, that's weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, just really, you know, fascinating that you were at this point able to just peer into whoever published it to the map. You know, it was it was out there. Um so a lot of those ideas kind of got filtered into this new concept that I'm that I'm working on, uncomfortably numb. So uncomfortably numb is essentially a audio series, much like an audio book, but it has sound design underneath it. So for scenes that are you know thrilling, you'll hear the foley and and you know knife mm-hmm. stabs and all of that, and then it has this score underneath it that really kind of, you know, I love audiobooks, but you know, sometimes when you, when you add the score underneath it, it, it almost like helps switch the setting or, or you know, if you need right. to shift gears a little bit from like a really tense moment to suddenly like, okay, now this is just like a downbeat. It, it kind of like, you know, holds the audience's hand just a little bit. And so I've written six chapters uh, for this and it's a trial show. So the the more people that that find it, you know, the 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 more episodes that I that I get to do. Hopefully, um, the the weird thing is that the show uh, is on an app called Pocket FM, and you know you have to download it. And when people go and download it, they're probably going to notice most of the content on there is like. These romance novels that are even yep. up, like <laughs> I, uh,
2: I, I downloaded the app and I, I was, I, I listened to the, the first episode, but I, I downloaded the app and I, it wants you to like to pick three favorite things. And I'm like, this is all romance. <laughs> it's, it's... It's, so it's, it's all romance and,
4: and it's, it's a very specific type of romance where half of it is like werewolf. Like, like, you know, people in yeah. love with, uh, where, uh-huh. and then the other half is like, Fuck <laughs> yeah. and then the other half is like, you know, so I married a billionaire or I, <laughs> right. you know, like all these like kind of billionaire romances. So the, the idea was, you know, they wanted to kind of build out their genre slate and, you know, they, they approached me to, to write the show and, and, you know, it, it's a gamble because the, the audience that is, on that app right now might not necessarily (laughs) want anything else and the people that i want to listen to it uh might not want romance but hopefully you know you hear this you're a fan and and you take a chance and you check out the show and you know once you checked it out if the app is bugging you you can
2: delete it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you just have oh, to pick yeah. you just have to pick three choices and you can get <laughs> into to find uncomfortably <laughs> numb. Because I, yeah. I had to do that. I was like, uh I guess yeah. I'm just gonna randomly choose. <laughs> yeah. The the barrier for Werewolves? Entry. <laughs> Bigfoot. <laughs> Unfortunately, werewolves was not an option for me. Go back. It was yeah. <laughs> it was all a bunch of bil- like uh, the billionaires type stuff was all the ones yeah. they had up, up. <laughs> there. was like There's- Okay, whatever. <laughs> so many billionaires. Yeah, <laughs> Recommend it's... all of this the horniness to me. That's fine. I just want to <laughs> listen to the podcast or the, the audio show. Yeah.
4: It's absurd. Uh, <laughs>
3: okay. So, Zach, we have talked about The Den. We have talked about your horror history. We have talked about your audio your audio show. But what film did you bring mm. with you today for us to discuss?
4: Today, I brought the 1962 classic uh, Carnival of Souls by –
3: Hell, Yeah. <laughs>
4: By Herc Harvey Herc Harvey What a good name by the way Yeah
3: What a name What a name um, So before we dive in I will give a quick synopsis of Carnival of Souls After a traumatic accident A woman becomes drawn to a mysterious abandoned carnival.
2: That is like Ooh, the most is, basic do plot do do synopsis do do from IMDb Because do 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 that do does do do not cover do
4: Wait, is that really it?
2: Cause that, that, that's, that's it That is what IMDb <laughs> says this movie is about
4: I've heard I love it. I've heard so, so
2: many other episodes, Mary Beth, where you
4: you've had so much so much more to, yeah, to read nope. there. That is literally. No, we got, it. We got
3: short and <laughs> short sweet and today. Sweat. Oh no, we don't and we don't and we don't write these ourselves because that yes. requires time and brain power that I unfortunately <laughs> do not have. No, no. <laughs>
2: We're relying on the kindness of IMDB. And sometimes <laughs> the
0: it is a joy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, wow. but, but take us back to the very beginning. How did you how, when did you see this movie? How old were you? How did you see it? Why is this your Scarred for Life pick? Give us your horror story.
4: So yeah, this kind of ties into, uh, you know, initially what I was talking about with like, you know, growing up with my dad and him showing me a lot of weird movies, probably when I was five. He was a, a fan of this, uh, you would call it a, like like a movie subscription magazine called sinister cinema okay and at the time this was like a catalog for all these great movies from the 60s and 70s that were drive-in movies okay that mm-hmm. you know at the time you know obviously there was no streaming and it was kind of the dawn of of vhs and and uh, you know getting those transfers so these movies weren't very widely accessible and the 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 transfers that you would get would would be just, you know, someone would randomly track down an old print and then it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be these like 4k remasters that we have today. Like we're so lucky. Yeah. So he tracked down a copy of carnival of souls and it was just one of those nights where, you know, I, I couldn't go to bed and, you know, he was watching a movie and, and we just put it on and that movie to me is just, it's this, surrealistic nightmare, but also this kind of warm blanket to me. Like uh, it just, it puts me in this like bizarre trance when I watch it every year. I I have to watch it on Halloween late at night with the lights off. Uh, It's, it's a staple it's, it's, it's always in the rotation, but I think, you know, what, what scarred me the most is that the man, the mm-hmm. played by Herc Harvey. Played by himself. the director himself. Yeah. yeah. And just something about, you know, the pale makeup he had, the, the black eyeshadow, like the whatever make- makeup he had under his eyes, mm-hmm. and just how his hair was just kind of unkempt and like really mm-hmm. styled in a uh, just interesting way. I, at that point, had never seen scares where there's a guy looking in a window at you or someone creepily from a distance just watching you and that yeah. movie has so many of these great moments where you know this this man this ghoul will kind of walk into a room slowly turn his head towards camera and just his expression and the emptiness in his eyes that it, it's smile just, it's yeah that smile that he that occasionally smile. you know will do all of that stuff just left a mark on me from, from go. And not only that, just the setting, like the carnival, the, which was the, in Salt Lake city, Utah, the Saltair pavilion, mm-hmm. uh, just that location and how it was filmed and seeing it from a distance at night in silhouette, like that to me is like, you know, especially as a kid, you see that and you're just like, that's a nightmare place. You know, that's a place yeah. that I don't want to go to. <laughs> and, right. You know, the fact that the character wanders through it at numerous points and is just kind of going into this just really creepy ghost town that you feel like at one point was alive and now is just this this empty husk. Like all of that just kind of just worked for me. And I I just it's it's one of my all time favorites. And I'm so happy that uh, that no one else brought it to you guys. Because uh, I just love talking about it. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, do you remember how old you were when you when you saw it? Yeah, I was probably five. Because uh, wow, yeah, yeah, probably five.
3: There's this is a lot going on in this movie that a five year old would not understand.
4: <laughs> yes, that's the most
3: war movies. But wow.
4: Well, and that's a lot of the 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 stuff that you know that we can dive into today. But you know, as a kid, you know, all of the, what we'll talk about, you know, just completely went over you know me and mm-hmm. and just. As a kid, you're just watching it. You're creeped out by the organ. Yeah. You're creeped out by the man and the location, and that's that's enough. You know, um, it's it's only in you know watching it, you know, over the years that you can kind of peel back. Oh wow, like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Besides just oh, yeah. the atmospherics, oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> did, I I gotta ask about the the ending. Did that did that surprise surprise you as a kid? Because like nowadays, like the twist ending, she was dead the whole time or something like that is is kind of you know a tr- a trope. But at the time when this came out, I'm not sure if that was. I I can't remember a movie prior to that where that was like a twist.
4: Yeah, and. Um... I think it really upset me. You're always rooting for the—I mean, hopefully—you're always rooting for the <laughs> protagonist to <laughs> to get away, and and when they don't, it's it's always kind of tragic. I kind of like prepping to, to talk about it. I, I saw that there's a Twilight Zone episode called "The Hitcher," and um, Ambrose Bierce's uh, "The Occurrence at Owl Creek." Both of those also do the the gimmick of, like, she was dead the whole time. Okay. But one thing that I actually picked up this time around while I was watching it that that kind of stuck with me was I'm aware that this movie does have kind of like that, it it ends with a, like, gotcha, like, she was dead the whole time. But a scene before that is this moment where the cops and the priest and the doctor are at the carnival and they have found... Mary Henry, the the main characters, the shape of her remains in the sand. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that they're there and that they're talking about and that they're investigating this, that adds an extra dimension to me that complicates the ending that she was dead the whole time in the car. And it actually kind of elevates it for me because it means that she actually existed for these characters to know. You know, she she actually had these interactions with all of them. It's not like a dream that she had. She was she was real somehow. Like either there was a phantom version mm-hmm. of her that was inhabiting this town in in Utah, but somehow she actually existed. And I think that really that helps the 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 ending for me because it just it it, it widens it. It makes it more mysterious. Yeah.
3: So. This was the first time I had seen this movie. Mm-hmm. I, it was like oh, one wow. of those movies that was on my list. I have to see it as a horror fan. I really, I need to see it. And you know, your list gets huge. So mm-hmm. I was so glad that you wanted to watch this because I was like, fucking finally, I have a reason to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. I can force myself to watch it. So I didn't really know anything about this movie. I knew she got into a car accident and there was a carnival. And so I didn't look into it at all. Cause I was like, this is a rare moment where I can go in relatively blind and like, not really know what's going on. And I'm so glad I did. I will say the first note I wrote is: "Is she that? De- is she dead?" Though after, <laughs> like, I did clock that. Be- but again, because we're so used to it, mm-hmm. like, yeah. we're so used to that. But I that also left my mind though. I-, I I will say I didn't. I wrote that down and then watched the whole movie. Like, oh, she's not dead, and then she was. I was like, "Fuck you, movie, <laughs> you got me. God damn it, you got me." Yeah, this movie is absolutely incredible. But I think one of the things that I was so impressed with was how this movie is like. Liminal space incarnate in a yes. way I have not seen in old movies. And how this movie is both old and contemporary in the weirdest way, like the ghosts look like like I was like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Because yeah. the go- I mean, they're all o- the only reason you can tell they're ghosts because they have the dark kind of shadow under their eyes and they're pale, but it's still so, but in this, this in this instance, it's still so creepy. Yeah. Cause it's, un- it's so uncanny. But then you have the score, this organ score that feels like, it feels like something you hear in a movie today. I, I'm going to say, like, yeah. I was like, this is giving me like indie horror, like creepy vibes that you would see today. So there was this really interesting tension between like old and contemporary and like almost futuristic for the sixties. And it creates this weird liminal space vibe that we were just talking about the ending it makes me think this could be like such an interesting case for an interdimensional cosmic horror i know that's mm. like very much a oh. stretch but there is that vibe yeah. to it where it's like she obviously existed mm-hmm. in some other plane of existence or in some fashion like maybe she's a ghost or maybe it's like she somehow did that dimension swapping thing that you've seen we see in horror movies and it's just like the way this movie captures these unsettling, something isn't right, you don't feel comfortable vibe, yeah. the entire movie in every interaction is just soaked with like something bad is about to happen. <laughs> well, and and it's, yeah. Wow, uh,
4: I, I completely incredible. agree with you. Yeah. And and I think that's that's helped because I think she was the only, one of the only classically trained actors. Yeah. And mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. the other, the rest of the cast, isn't like on her level. So there's this, int- you're right. There's this interesting tension at play where they don't all kind of feel on the
2: same plane, but it, it works and it adds to the creepiness. She feels like an outsider. She does. Absolutely. Cause I, I think the only other person that had like acting experience at that time was, uh, Sidney Berger, who plays Mm -hmm. John Linden, he was going to school at the time. I I think I I read somewhere that he was actually at school at Kansas City learning to be an actor. Yeah. And he's he's actually quite good in the movie that he's he's (laughs) really good in this movie. He's he definitely is creepy. But like that kind of like there's that there's the banter between them. In one part, I'm like, this seems like the very kind of banter that today we're like, get back. This is creepy. But at the time seemed like natural. In a yeah. way, if that makes sense, like the way that he's like constantly chasing her and not taking no for an answer today, we'd be like, okay, this is, you know, this is bad. You need to get, where's a bystander? Stop this inter- intervention. Yeah. But back at that time when, when this was, was filmed, it almost seemed like that's what they do. Guys are going to chase the girl and they're going to say no. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep whittling you down. That seemed to be like yeah. a, a classic trope. So he has this sort of like, if you were to isolate from that time frame. The typical kind of uh, I'm gonna, I know this is the woman for me type of guy, but then also he's plying her with alcohol and he's doing all these things that is constantly trying to to break her down. That it just becomes so incredibly unsettling that he's just That's as tough. creepy as the reflection of the old man that she keeps seeing. It's I it's, know um, it's, it's I,
3: every every man in this movie is the fucking worst. It's, oh yeah. Well, besides the old, like, there is what, there's obviously the two women she's in the car with at the beginning, and then her landlady, or, mm-hmm. and, but yeah. everyone else is a man that she interacts with. And the landlady is an interesting kind of foil to, like, old fashioned women, how, mm-hmm. like, women, and I, like, still living today, like, women can be just as bad as men. But, like, fuck, I was, like, listing out, like, the men challenging the women to the drag race at the fucking beginning, like let's race the men commenting on Mary's employment about like, Oh, you're going to be a nun. Oh God. (laughs) And like, there's the fucking neighbor that is just bothering her. Like, all the time, like, hey, you want to get dinner? No. <laughs> well, why don't I come in and do this? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, thanks for making me unfeel, feel unsafe in my own goddamn house. Mm-hmm. There's the man at the water fountain that's like, I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the therapist. There's the therapist. I mean, the, I listed it all out. Like, the and list goes grabs on and <laughs> purchased.
4: Yeah.
2: Yes. He does he like,
3: like I'll, t- I'll do therapy. He grabs her, like, I'll go to my office right now and do therapy. What? I'm like, yeah. is that how you found a therapist in the 1960s?
2: <laughs> well, he even says, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but, yeah. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna diagnose you, you hysterical woman, like shaking your snap out of it. It's <laughs> like, it's like, good Lord, the men in this are just, are just horrible. But I, I did think, I did want to clock one thing about the, the landlady though, is that there's a moment where she is with, um, with Mary and she's in Mary's room and Mary is like telling her she sees the creepy man coming up the stairs it's like that. He's out there and she even gets into the landlady's mind. So you can almost see her kind of all of a sudden not feeling safe and being in Mary's shoes. Cause she like kind of peers out into the hallway, like ready for someone to come lunge at her. And of course he's not there, but like there's that moment where it's like actual pathos between the two of them where like, yeah all of her authority of being the landlady is stripped away and she's just as defenseless as Mary is. Yeah. That's a
3: great moment. I also wanted to bring up a line that the therapy, it- the therapy moment I think made me think this movie is like vaguely queer. And I'm not sure if anyone else had this reading a little bit, but there's a part where he's like, well, mm. don't you have a boyfriend? And she's like, what did she say? I have no desire for the close company of other people. Yep. And while that could just be her being lonely like just not wanting other people i read that either as queer or as a sexuality yeah. as like she's very openly defiant to the idea of settling down finding a partner and like outright rejecting intimate, like it, re- any kind of intimacy not just to a man who has like is it obviously advanced like putting on advances towards her but just when she's asked, she's like i don't want that at all which in the 1960s is incredibly big to have a woman saying that like on camera very much being like I don't want the company of men I don't want company of other people I'm fine being alone and because I'm queer and think everything is queer I was like she's gay and that was their way of saying she's gay and I was like I will it's like my favorite instance of us queers trying to find like little bitty bits of representation but like you can't, when someone is that explicit, you cannot help but, like, very, especially now, read into that, like, that moment so deeply, No, I at think least. that's a... Terry, I don't know if you read that that either, because I know that you and I look at the queer shit a lot, so I'm curious if you thought about that at all. I actually was
2: thinking she was asexual, uh, yeah. you know, like, arrow. I, yeah, I was
3: queer asexual, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Because, like, cool. she, well, she makes that. well, she, I mean... In a very simplistic way, right? Because, uh, again, I don't think yeah. the, this movie necessarily has the sort of language that the, when we talk about the, the different identities now. But her, her thing, I don't seem capable of being close to people, which you could read as being like that sort of she is outside of the society in terms of post-accident because we don't really know anything about her pre-accident. We don't know if she was vivacious and, you know, you know, sexually forward. We don't know any of that kind of information about her. All we see is everything post that accident. So I, I, I'm, you know, you could easily take it as just being like on, on the front, you know, that this, it's a clue that, you know, she's dead or that she is stuck out of time or that she is, you know, not belonging in this reality anymore. But but yes, Mary Beth, I definitely clocked that as being like, a, ooh, this is like a moment that people could dig into is a, yeah. a queer reading. I, I even like that line. I forget who she's talking to, but she's like, I'm not
4: afraid of men. And yeah. I think that's that's such a, it's such a cool line in, in that movie. And I just, I love her character too, because she is like never really like that afraid of the the man the Mm -hmm. the ghoul who's coming after her and at times she's almost kind of compelled to to go there and and prefers that world more than than the world that she inhabits on on a daily basis like when she goes for the first time and breaks into the carnival I think the next day she she's like the most animated Mm -hmm. that we've seen her in the movie Mm -hmm. as if like this thing like suddenly brought her her joy and there's another moment that i thought was really interesting later when she's she's playing the organ later in the movie and she becomes possessed and she starts to have these visions of the the dancing ghouls in the pavilion and then the, the minister is like
3: Profane,
1: like this. How do you know <laughs> yeah. souls? Oh,
3: but that moment's so fucking cool too. Like yeah. when she's playing, the, it's like she gets possessed, and she yeah. starts. It's like the like you just get these shots of like. Um, the robes kind of like moving in the breeze, a shot out the window, like these creepy moments, and it all kind of devolves and then he grabs her hands and it's the priest Profane and it's just, like sacrilege. What are you playing yeah. in this church?
2: <laughs>
4: and, and but what I like it's is so good. Well she's she's then fired And then hilariously, as she walks out the door, he's like still trying to proselytize her. He's like, hey, but uh, you know, if you ever want to come back to the church, you're always welcome. There is help here. I urge you to accept it. (laughs)
3: Yeah. yeah. But then she's like, pick a lane, buddy. (laughs)
4: Yeah. But but then after that, she goes to the dance hall with Mr. Linden, and I Mm -hmm. never noticed it before, but almost like two minutes before, she was kind of smiling as she's like seeing this vision of the dancing ghouls. And now you have the shot of her next to Mr. Linden and she's just staring into her drink and you've got people dancing behind her and she doesn't even like want to dance, but like you almost wondered, would she rather be dancing with the dead? And at that point in the movie, she's still like not really sure if that's what she wants. At least that's the takeaway that, that I brought out of it this time. But I, yeah, I just think there's, I could definitely see a, a queer reading of, of her in, in this version.
3: This movie fucking rules.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It, you know, it really does. And what, what surprised me about it is, uh, well, there's, there's a number of things that surprised me about it. It has like a very workman like feel to the, the actual shooting of it for the most part, but there are moments of like pure brilliance that I Style. just like it. Yeah. Yes. That like pull me back. Cause it's very much like a, a shot on shot, you know, it has all these scenes and it just feels like this is where the cameras place. But, but then there's that, there's a moment early on that like going back to what you were saying, Mary Beth, about the liminal spaces that like really worked for me. And it's, it's when she's at the gas station and she's like, where's the, you know, the the boarding place, and he points, the camera swerves to see where it's pointing into the inky blackness, and then we realize that we're now in front of the door as she's opening up into her, her room, and I'm like, that is such a brilliant shot, and it definitely it feeds into that. I, that's when I first took a note about the liminal spaces, yeah. because it's like, this movie is just full of those spaces that even places that feel like they're self-contained, there's like another realm on the other side of it, whether it's the old man kind of creepily Peering in from like the other realm almost into the window. There's the use of reflections a lot, but then also the way that the camera shoots, where everything is constantly feeding into the next scene, as if there is no. Place here. Yeah, it's all just continuations. It's like a dream. Yeah. yeah,
3: yes. Well, there's that moment, and the part that really got me was the dressing room sequence where she's mm. like getting, mm-hmm. she's trying on the dress, and she goes into the dressing room. Um, I want there to be more dressing room horror, is what this movie also <laughs> made me realize because dressing rooms really are like the, malls and dressing rooms are like quintessential liminal spaces for me. I think they're so bizarre, they're so weird. But there's a moment where the camera like pans up, and there's this weird like watery effect, yep. and then it pans yeah. back down, and it's like. Holy shit, like we just transitioned into a whole and like everything's silent.
0: Everything is silent. That
3: was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Just like this so simple but so effective way of just showing that we're somewhere different. Either she's dissociating or we've gone to another place where she's dead. Like wherever we are, it's bizarre. And it's such a They didn't even have to indicate that, but I love that really brief kind of moment of something weird happening in this dressing room. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's just, it's so gorgeous in these really, it seems so simple, but really important visual choices to set the tone of where she is in space. Like, even if you don't actually know, it's like such an interesting marker of time and place in this movie, which... It's yeah. so
4: cool. And and off of that, like not only visual but like auditory, you know that whole scene that you're talking about with the dressing room. All the sound gets stripped away. Yeah, and you just hear her 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 feet, her footsteps clacking. Yeah, oh, the clacking. Yes. The clacking. Uh, it's almost more unsettling. I think there's a is it's in that moment or the later moment when it happens. But she goes outside and she sees a jackhammer. Like yes, hit,
3: it's that same yeah. sequence,
4: and yep. and the the soundless jackhammer is just really unsettling, and and uh, you know he he plays with just sound in such a brilliant unnerving way, and mm-hmm. and not only that, but like talking about the score and and the organ, two things that I that I noticed this time. Some of the time, the the organ music feels like it's it's diegetic sound in in that it's like. This is coming from the radio, or yep. she's actually playing the organ here. But then there are moments where it doesn't actually feel like, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it it works for me, even if it's a a, a mistake or whatever. But there are moments where you kind of feel like the music isn't diegetic and it's it's score again, and that kind of weird blending. Even in like the moment when she's driving the first time and she's going to Utah, she's Mm -hmm. messing around with the radio, and you hear like the the organ music is on every channel, and then it feels like either she turns the radio off or, or whatnot. But that that organ just suddenly takes over, and it feels now like is this actually what she's hearing or is this the score? It's just it creates this like weird, unsettling effect. And the moment where she's playing the organ later and she becomes possessed, I had like a, a revelation this time. And I was like, whoa, I think I and this I might sound like a total basic, you know, like you might be like, oh, yeah, that was obviously it. But the, the fact that she is a church organist and is playing the organ and in that scene, it suddenly segues into the carnival shots And then I realized like, oh my God, calliope music, like organs are also a part of, of carnivals. Yes. And it's this like kind of crazy, like juxtaposition of like, was she a church organist, but also in the the undead world, will she have a job as a, as a calliope organist for (laughs) for their, their weird carnival of souls? You know, like that was, I wasn't high, but that was the...
2: (laughs) Well, it, it, I hadn't even thought about that, how, you know, this this movie does play with, like, religion and secular. Yes. That, that seems to be this huge pull. And I don't think I, – and I think a carnival, which, you know, has, like, all the, the type of same – similar music sometimes as the the kind of organ music as well as in a church. Like, I, I can see that kind of connection there. One, one thing that, like, jumped out at me a whole lot is this obsession with the soul in this movie. Mm. Yeah. Because – when she's playing with this gorgeous, that gorgeous organ in the, before she gets to Utah where she's, you know, planning on going to Utah and there's the or- room full yeah. of like pipes and everything. I'm like, this is, that is a gorgeous fucking organ, <laughs> but she's playing it and everyone's like, Oh yeah. You know, you got to put some soul into it. And she shows up at, in Utah and the minister's like, we have an organist that puts soul into it. Like there's this yeah. obsession with this idea of soul. And then the moment when she starts to play non-religious music and kind of, it gets, takes on that, that, that sinister timber is when the minister is like, you have no soul. And it's like <laughs> this, this idea of mixed with like this idea of like the afterlife, whether, you know, she is somehow escaped death and has been, you know, haunted by this figure that's trying to remind her that she is dead or however you want to take it as like a purgatorial place that she is stuck in or whether it's people, the, the undead trying to re- make her remember that she is dead and bring her back to whatever, whatever, is going to exist in the afterlife that there's that obsession with her soul yeah. and whether she has it or does not have it that I, I was very fascinating to watch in this.
4: Yeah. And I think a lot of credit should be given to the screenwriter, uh, John Clifford, I think his name was, but you know, he, I think he wrote it in three weeks. He, he worked yeah. with her Harvey at um, Centron films, which was or Centron group, which was like a, they made educational
2: they movies. sure did, as well as like almost like propaganda films, like the the what my my favorite was like what about juvenile delinquency? And some of these shorts are up on YouTube because I watched them today, oh, and wow. I wanted to see what some of the shorts were, <laughs> and they are basically like one of them is almost basically the uh, the opening of this film where people are drag racing. Like it is definitely, you can see where he got this idea of like (laughs) these kids doing something bad. And look what happens. The first thing that happens, (laughs) you break the law, you go off the bridge and you die. And that is basically the intent of a lot of the, the non uh, educational ones that he did. There was that one. There was one about what about drinking, which is another one on YouTube that I watched where there's this scientist and he is talking about people drinking and he's like talking about test subjects and the movie Switches between three rats that he has, that he has made one that has not had any alcohol, oh one that's had some alcohol. And that's equivalent to a couple drinks in a, in a person. Another one that has that is completely blotto. While we're also talking about these three teenagers, one who is is abstaining from alcohol, one who's had a couple <laughs> of drinks, and one who is completely blotto. And oh, the scientist wow. is like putting the mice up on this like balancing bar and showing that the one that hasn't drunk is able to keep his balance on it while the other ones are just like flailing all over the place. While we're also seeing these people decide to go <laughs> drunk driving. It's like – You see this part and you can see kind of the – where that starts and where this movie continues. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean I love this idea. I I just love this idea of like a guy
4: who's like making educational videos but like you know in the back of his mind he's got this like – this really creative way to attack these, you know? And <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: I just, I mean, they looked good too. The yeah. the the videos that like the editing in it. Like it's it's a really well produced video. It just it makes me laugh because it's yeah. like it's a little heavy handed yeah. in its yeah. theme.
3: <laughs> Wait, that's so funny though to think that he made propaganda movies like that and watching this movie and it's very much like I feel like it's very much like men are fucking gross movie. And I just think it's very it's, I know obviously all different subjects, but it's so interesting to think that that's the kind of movies that he had worked on. And then he makes this movie. That's a lot. I think a big part of this movie is, Hey, m- men fucking can be really gross. Yeah. and women- What's worse, death or men. Like, that's not what the movie is trying to say, but sometimes part of this, like, a lot of this movie to me was like, Oh my God, the, I would rather like these men are worse than death. Anyway. I,
4: well, what, what's, what's so interesting is like, I feel like there's a, a totally more, um, Commercial version of this movie where Mr. Linden is like a Cary Grant, you know, and Mm -hmm. he's he's sensitive Mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, my God, like we're going to get to the bottom of this. But what an interesting choice to not have a love story. And in the only possible love story you have, it's a creep. Who, when you first introduce him, the, the shot is like filmed from behind his back, and he basically feels like Michael Myers. Yeah, you know, he's, he's like all going
2: crazy. <laughs> She's getting out of her robe, shimmying yeah. out of her
4: robe. It's it's so like what an interesting choice to to not go the the obvious route, and I'm so glad that that they didn't do that. And I'm also glad that for the bad guy, you know, the the man, he doesn't have a name. There's no real mythology. Like Mm-mm. you could say, like, okay, the mythology is he's dead and. He comes. He's like the Grim Reaper. He comes for people that are in purgatory and brings them to the carnival, Ryan. you know. But like beyond that, there's no like. The man died in 1930 at the carnival <laughs> right. when the carnival burned down, mm-hmm. and now he's haunting the the car. It's it's all. Up to your imagination.
3: And I, so, and I was like, very much expecting, like, woman gets in car accident, wanders to carnival, ghosties everywhere, she must escape. Again, because yeah. I didn't know anything about this movie. So, so I was expecting a very, like, standard ghost story. But this was just, like, ahead of its time. Like, this is something, yeah. like, this is my shit. Like, this is a movie that I feel like is. So similar to what is being made today and what people are trying to accomplish today. But I think that this accomplishes it so well. And, like, I think that this movie is what so many horror movies want to be when they're, like, when they're a little bit more, I think, contemplative, a little bit more into, like, the, like, cerebral kind of ideas of horror. I think this movie is such a pinnacle of that. And it's definitely... I feel like a lot of movies Terry we've watched recently from the show have like shifted my thoughts about like the horror genre like <laughs> as a whole, which is wild. It's really interesting to see how what this movie I think has been for so many filmmakers, e- even if it's subconsciously.
4: Have you guys seen It Follows? I feel like that one has so much in common
3: just thinking that this movie has a lot to do i thought i was i thought a lot about it follows too again that's a liminal space horror but again it it definitely has like it follows feels very much like it brings in a lot of carnival of souls influence
4: yeah like the the ghouls who are coming after her, her who you don't know anything about the the score is is kind of you know organ centric or keyboard centric and Even Micah Monroe's performance is kind of in that same space,
2: you know? You know, I was thinking about how this, I feel like this movie probably has inspired a lot of films. I know for a fact that uh, George Romero credited it with Night of the Living Dead. I think you can see it both in like the the ghoulish design of what he would eventually do in Night of the Living Dead. But like, I, I was watching this and the way it's filmed Brought a lot of Night of Living Dead homages to me. Like obviously it came before, but like from my perspective, because I this is my my first time watching this too. But I just kept watching this thinking, this feels like Night of Living Dead. Even from um, you know Mary, the actress that plays her, um, she reminded me a lot of Barbara in Night of Living Dead. Like there's a lot of connections there as well, but also. Um, I, I do think that I'm, I'm starting to go down. I, I'm not familiar with David Lynch's filmography, but I've started like watching some of his films and I, I'm watching this and I'm like, I feel like the surrealism and the ambiguity in this, um, is kind of a forebear to what Lynch would be doing. Um, about maybe a decade later. Yeah. I think lost highway, um, has draws a lot of inspiration from,
4: from carnival of souls. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, he loves this kind of dream surrealistic, uh, yeah, state oh we we have to talk about candace Hillig- Hilligos. i you what know performance. Her, yeah and you know it's it's interesting because i mean I, i'm just really curious what so it's both of your first time watching it that that's incredible yeah i mean like i've you know as a kid you don't really observe too much from performances i feel like you're you're just more like the the actor like it's mm-hmm. more of like a cypher for you and you just kind of Are along and you're scared for them but as you grow up and become more observant her performance to me over the years has 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 definitely kind of matured and and this time i watched it i was like she's she's really good not just from the expressive eyes and you know her facial expressions
2: but i just some of her line deliveries are oh are impeccable line impeccable. delivery. Yeah. Well, and I, I, what I really liked, what really pulled me in is that she has a lot of agency. I, I've yeah. seen a lot of films mm-hmm. with the kind of, I mean, you could take this as sort of like a woman in peril type thing, because mm-hmm. again, you have all these men telling her, you know, she's hysteric, that she, they're not believing anything that, that she sees. And that's, that's a, that's a trope that we've seen back with Rebecca, you know, throughout, throughout the decades. That's not a, a new thing with this film, but she has so much agency in this in this movie that i i was really taken aback by it i I wasn't expecting her to basically drive the entire story she doesn't take shit from anybody
4: no and and i love even like with mr linden you know who's like so creepy it's like there's that one moment where she chooses to be around him when she wants to you know like she's in control you know she can tell him no but then there are other times where she's like hey you know what i think i think i i want his company right now and then as soon as she's like kind of over his
2: advances then she's like all right get get away from me dude i, I love that cuz like he even tells her he's like well you know yesterday you seemed kind of sort of cold you know and saying that basically this morning that she's not <laughs> and she's like well this morning i needed company yeah like it just it, so- it just i i love the laissez faire attitude it's of it on it's so yeah, cool. it is. Yeah. on her terms it's so cool it is everything's on her terms and i'm like this so- is <laughs> fantastic yeah Yeah, even even uh her just
4: driving the the third act it's not like she runs away from you know salt lake city like i guess she like tries to but like at a certain point she's like you know what i gotta go to this carnival by myself and Mm -hmm. take care of this it it doesn't work but she she faces her fear at the end and i think that's that i I, you know i give her a lot of credit as a as a hero or as a protagonist
3: i got of Tippi Hedren vibes a little bit from her from The Birds birds, and The Birds came out a year later so it was very interesting because as soon as like especially the sequence where she's driving driving towards Salt Lake City and you have the reveal of the ghost guy I got such interesting parallels between this movie and The Birds and these two characters And and I think while Tippi Hedren's character in The Birds is a little bit more outspoken and a little bit more direct and I feel like Mary in this movie is a little bit more timid. They both have are, are fighting for agency and yeah, right? mm-hmm. a little bit more in this movie, I think for sure. But mm-hmm. I think it's such an interesting parallel between these two characters and what, you know, they're leaving where they're comfortable and going somewhere new and shit hits the fan. And yeah, it's not like a new thing in horror, but it was just, it's just kind of interesting with how closely they were at least seeing these parallels between these characters and how they handle the scenarios. And it's yeah. just, it was really, it was cool. And she, and I mean, she was, she is so much more, I think, like, she's got a lot of interiority to her character. I think she mm-hmm. portrays this kind of, like, inner struggle and turmoil with Mary really well that makes her feel like she went through this trauma. Cause, like, I yeah. mean, the whole underlying thing in this is, hey, your friends died a horrific death and you crawled out of the car. Like, that's weird. And you're, and obviously you're moving away for probably that's a big reason. And I think that she captures that really well in making this really fascinating, complex character in a in a 1962 yeah. horror
4: movie. <laughs> it's so complex. And like, even she, you know, she survives this horrific crash. Her two friends have died. And then literally the next day, she's just, she's got to kind of recover. You know, it's, it's that weird question of like, is she, is she burying her grief a little too much? Or is she just like, I don't have time for this. Like, I just have to, Yeah, I have to I have to move on. That kind of that definitely struck me this time as like, you know, it's, it's intense that she's, she's just backing up and
2: leaving. Well, and even though she is, she is a little bit more timid, I think, than than maybe Tippy Hedren is, but she's, Hmm. she doesn't, she's not afraid to stand up for herself, which I think is, we see that from the very beginning, where, you know, she's, again, playing that organ and the guys like, you know, talking about how, you know, she's gonna go to the church. And she's like, no. It's just another business for me. Mm-hmm. This is going to pay my job. And even when she's talking talking to the minister, she stands up to me. She's like, ah, "No, I don't. I don't want. I don't want a reception. It's going to make me uncomfortable. I yeah. don't want this. I don't want that. This is this is just a job." And she says that to anyone that asks her about like her religion. She's like, "No, I just." They're paying it's paying my, my bills. Yeah. And I just I, I love that because you would typically see like the the kind of meek like, you know, even if maybe she didn't believe in it, she might be like, Oh yeah, you're right. No, I yeah, I might go yeah. do that, you know, I'm kinda of play it off. But no, she's just like, No. <laughs> this is just it's, me. It's it's so cool. Yeah. I I love it.
3: <laughs> so do we have anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up and give us our rating out of five.
2: I guess my, my last thing I'm curious, how, what do you guys think is going on in this movie? Do you think she's in purgatory? Do you think she survived? What, what is your guys' reading of this
3: film? Well, my, my reading that I came up with literally at the beginning of this recording, because it finally all clicked for me is that she somehow is an, in, it's like a weird interdimensional thing. I, that is my current read. And while it sounds silly, I'm taking a more cosmic horror approach I to like this. That. And like somehow there's like some weird parallel shit going on where like she's retaining se- like obviously memories of what happened and there's something reminding her and it some, some bigger force knows that she is somewhere she is not supposed to be. And it's kind of like reminding her over and over again. And then when her body is found, it kind of like the timelines kind of snap back into place a little bit is my... No. Reading of I
4: think that's I think that's great, because what I noticed this time around is that when she first comes out of the water, you never actually see her come out of the water. You just see her just kind of arrive. It's like she's just popped onto the sandbar. So it's, it, you don't actually see her get out of the car or, or whatnot. So I actually think that that reading, it kind of it all makes sense in a way. She's just popped in into place
2: there just but until you see the body then the the dream collapses yeah so i i kind of had a similar similar uh reading of it as well because well the first thing that just popped in my head is because i when we when we talked about Beetlejuice, we talked about how that movie was pulling from a lot of a lot of films that there's a lot of little horror homages in there. And as I was thinking about this car going off and the people and her dying and this idea is if she's dead or not. I mean, that's sort of the beginning opening of Beetlejuice with, you know, the 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 married couple going off the bridge and then it takes them forever to realize that they're actually dead and they're ghosts and they're tethered to their house. But I was thinking about this about like, I see this as a woman who has like some kind of. She hasn't met what she thinks is her potential. She had more to do. And so when she dies, something about her continued onward. And then she kept getting pulled back because of these haunting images of dead people reminding her, no, you're not, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. And then I think she kind of realizes at one point. Uh, why am I still here? Because all these people are terrible. And <laughs> yeah. so then she does finally go embrace and go run into the carnival where all where she sees all of the people that are like her. And, and she finally, in a way, even though they chase her and it's like a horror movie set, she sees herself dancing with the <laughs> the ghoul. And it's almost like this acceptance. And then once she finally can't deal with it anymore and she realizes she doesn't belong here, that's when we cut back to them pulling the the car out of the water. I like both those readings. I think it's just, I yeah.
4: love,
3: I love movies what that are just think, ambiguous. Seth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
4: You've seen you, it obviously
3: way more times than we have.
4: Uh, so. <laughs> is it too, you know, is it too diplomatic if I'm like, it's both of those versions. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> yes, it is.
4: No, um, I, yeah, I mean, I guess what I, what I love about this movie is that every time I watch it, because it's, it's not like a very on the outward surface it, it's not a super complicated movie and right. when i when i initially brought it to you guys like i was nervous because i was like this isn't one of those movies that like is is necessarily like there's not a ton of plot there's not a lot of craziness going on it's a lot of it is just kind of you're inferring there's no myth like there's barely any mythology and it's just it's very kind of stripped down mm-hmm. but what's so cool about it is there are these things that are conversations about life and, and religion and the, just all these terrible men. And, you know, this, this woman who's just trying to live her own life and go through it. It's, it's, I just love that, that a movie that seems so simple on, on the, the outside just has so much richness to it that, that we were able to have a, a nice discussion about it. And if we talk about it next
2: year on, on Twitter, I'll have a completely new uh, read of it. You know? I mean, absolutely. But when I when I came into this conversation, I honestly was like, well, this is – she's in purgatory. Because this <laughs> the obsession with the soul and mm-hmm. that kind of aspect of it is like, well, she's in purgatory. And then by the end of it, she has moved on to whatever comes next. But then when you had mentioned the part about like her laying on the beach at the very end and then the, the cops coming, I was thinking, well, how could this be like stuck in her mind or something like that or be some yeah. purgatory place if it continues – after she's, you know, left this left this world. And I was like, so that's why I started thinking about all these other things that are potentially good. So yeah, I think this movie like definitely begets that kind of conversation of what is really going on here. And I it, it's that surprised me in and of itself. Yeah.
3: I guess I get why it's in the criteria. (laughs) Which, by the
2: way, when I went to go rent this movie, to well, I was going to go see if I had to rent it. It was luckily under the HBO Max, so I didn't have to. But when I went to rip HBO Max, by the way, but anyway, um, that's another story. When I went to go look, they there was two editions of it. There was the colorized. um, There was a colorized version of it. I'm like, why would you do that to this film? This film is drenched in shadows and darkness. Whoa. That's.
3: zucchini my, it's my kit it's my, no it's oh, it's,
2: oh, misu misu <laughs> agrees
3: a, my cat so zach my cat one of it's both of them but it's usually the younger one when she wants to leave a room and the door is shut she hits the door stop thing she knows it She's gets trained. i either love either my or my fiance because my fiance is like we're in an apartment so we can hear it so she knows that when once he hears it he'll open the door oh so, so
4: cute she, <laughs>
3: I'm- it's cute and <laughs> annoying, but I love her.
4: My cat was very on his best behavior
2: today during the two hours oh. that we that we did this. So I <laughs> love it, yeah. but I, I just don't understand why people would make this in color. Like it's,
3: I, I feel like also takes with like, the, the liminal the space vibe as well. I feel like the black yeah. and white very much helps create that atmosphere, and colorizing it, I that's so silly. Guys, black and white is not bad.
0: Right. You can watch
3: black and white movies. It's fine. I think yep. that
2: the people that are selling the movie understand that because the colorized version was cheaper than the black and wow. white version by yeah. half. I think like <laughs> if you were to buy the black and white version, it was fourteen ninety-nine on iTunes and the colorized version was seven ninety-nine. So it's like almost exactly like half. Oh,
3: interesting. Okay. 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 Okay.
2: But so I ha- I have to ask, since you watch this every single year. And this is like a favorite for you. Does it still bring you back to when you were a kid? Does it still terrify you? Yes.
4: I mean, I I try to, especially with like, you know, The Shining and um, movies that I like really hold sacred like that. I kind of try to put myself in that place mentally Mm -hmm. whenever I, you know, I try to create the environment of like, it has to be night. It can't be daytime. Um... I got to turn the lights off. It's got to be spooky season. Yeah. I got to just allow myself to be scared and reach into that nostalgia and that feeling. Cause you know, yeah. what else do we have, you know, these days, but.
1: <laughs> oh so... <laughs> yeah. It's so, yeah.
3: amazing. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up. Give us a writing out of five. Terry, how many creepy men out of five <laughs> do you give Carnival of Souls?
2: You know, this movie, this movie surprised the hell out of me. <laughs> um, I, I went into it, I I, well, I went into it not really knowing what it was about. I knew I was thinking it was gonna be more about a carnival, like a carnival obviously features into it. But like I was imagining people getting stuck in a carnival, not being able to escape, is what I was imagining this movie is about. And so when I started, I'm like, this is nothing like what I expected. And I was like, this movie is surprisingly effective. It's it's very like I said originally. I think some of the direction is a little workman like and of course the the acting is a little circumspect in spots because it's not using professional actors in a lot of cases but yet there's something really incredibly haunting and effective about this film that again i was not expecting i fell in love with this almost immediately and it just i i just kept getting pulled back in with what is happening in this film that I, I, I think that this could be a yearly watch for me. I just, I was really blown away by it. So for yeah. me, I yeah. honestly, I honestly think this is probably somewhere between a four and a half and five creepy men out of five Woo-hoo. for me. I just, I, I loved it. What about you, Mary Beth?
3: I also give this five. Like I, I when it first started, I was like, I wonder like where I'm going to fall. And at the end I was like fucking 10 out of 10 amazing love. We'll be thinking about this for a long time kind of situation. Like, you know, it's a a movie that I think I've said this a million times this podcast, but it's so ahead of its time and what it's doing with character and with sound and with visuals and with story. It's just something that feels so contemporary and so old at the same time. And it's, such a fascinating, like, I don't know, it's just so impressive in what it is and how, it again, like, liminal space. It's a liminal movie that exists in this weird setting out of a space and time, both for our character, but also just in how it looks and the settings. And it's so impressive to me that that was, it looks so simply created back then. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not so simple, but it looks so effortless almost and mm-hmm. it's so unnerving and so creepy and i think just once again i have such deeper such a growing respect for filmmakers from that time period and what they're able to make in a time where you know we, we think about these kinds of movies coming out now but it was out that was 1962 and i think it's just so impressive and incredible that these thirty thousand dollars being made like it's just it's it's just such an incredible testament to horror. And it just reminds me why I love the genre so much. And I cannot wait to watch it again and have a million thoughts about this ending and yeah. what the hell is going on. Um, but Zach, you have the final word. I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is going to be. But how many creepy <laughs> men out of five do you give Carnival of Souls?
4: I give it seven creepy men and one <laughs> one ghoul. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm so glad that... Um, you guys liked it so much. You know, it's, it's a very special movie to me and I know it's a special movie to a lot of people in, in the horror community. It was just really cool to, to get to, to gab with you guys about it. I really Thanks had a blast.
3: Giving me a reason yeah. to finally fucking watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Both of us. I mean, that's amazing.
4: Yeah. And real quick, not to shamelessly promote, I wasn't going to do this, but when you said cosmic horror, black and white, period piece i have to just say that my youtube series the unknowable is that um and i really want you to get ready and get psyched because it's coming out this halloween it's, i did 10 episodes it's creepy weird bizarre so that's so all i would say about that I,
2: I'm, I'm, well I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up because when i was my next part was going to be where can listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share? Cause I really wanted you to, to talk a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I love that. So, uh, but yeah, where can listeners find you and what can you share? I mean, you might've shared all that you want to, but what can you share yeah. about your um, YouTube series? You could find me on, on tw- on Twitter at, I, I forget what my handle is, but maybe
4: we can put it in the, <laughs> <laughs> we'll put bit. it in the Get description the of the podcast, yeah. everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and uh, you know, I'll I'll promote all of the, the projects that I have on there. Um Uncomfortably Numb is on the Pocket FM app. The den is for rent on Amazon or wherever you get your you rent your movies, and um I have a YouTube series coming out, ten part series called The Unknowable, and it's gonna be really weird,
2: cosmic, black and Hell white, yeah. really creepy. Hell so yeah. <laughs> that's that's wow. awesome.
3: Fuck yeah. That's
2: awesome. Is it going to be on your, on your personal channel? Is it through some, some company? Where is it? So I, um, for this, it's under uh,
4: Jackalope Studios. Okay. Um, they very, you know, low budget little studio. That's making a lot of, you know, kind of creepy uh TikToks and weird little shorts that are all just super experimental <laughs> oh, and very, very funky. And the guy um, who's running it, Kyle Cooper Basically, was like, how would you like to have your own channel on <laughs> on our, you know, YouTube thing and, and it'll be your own show. And, and I was like, hell, yeah, dude, let's let's go. So hell, I've yeah, been, I've been toiling away on it uh, for the last few months. It's super weird. It's definitely unlike the den. It's the furthest thing from that. Uh, it's actually probably more in the wheelhouse of Carnival of Souls, which is kind of OK. It's awesome. fitting for, for it's like, you know. It's in that same zone, area code. But yeah, yeah, keep an eye out for it.
0: Awesome. Hell
3: yeah. yeah. So listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with Carnival of Souls? You can send us an email at Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MBMcAndrews.
2: And I'm Kaylee Dreadful.
3: And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast.
2: And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe.
3: Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy.
2: And until next time.